Well, hello everybody. Good to be with you today. My name is Jim Motts and I'm one of the pastors here at Hill Country Bible Church. We're glad you're with us. Whether you're joining online or maybe you're at one of our locations, we're continuing a journey together looking at the, the human side of Jesus through a series called He Gets Us. The reality is Jesus was very much just like any one of us. And we're looking at the ways in which Jesus was like us so that we might be able to experience the fullness of Jesus. Someone who's unlike anyone else. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus loved a good party. Jesus loved a good party. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Uh, if you have a smart device, go ahead and you know, turn on your Bible, Bible app, or you can go to BibleGateway.com. Just you know, type it in, BibleGateway.com. Go to the top, just type in Luke and then 5, and then the whole chapter will pop up right there. And uh, we're going to join you there in just a little bit. Now imagine you're walking down a busy street. And three people come walking toward you. The first person is a teacher. Maybe they're carrying a book in their hand or a book bag over their shoulder. And here you see a person who's dedicated their life to helping others learn and grow. So a teacher comes walking past you. And then imagine the second person comes walking toward you and it's a doctor. Maybe wearing scrubs, stethoscope around the neck, maybe something like that. And here's a person who's, they've devoted their lives to helping others heal. The doctor comes walking past you. And now the third person comes walking toward you, and it's just a regular-looking dude. And this regular-looking dude happens to be wearing a party hat. And he's wearing a shirt. And on the shirt are the words of that, that famous philosopher, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> and it says on the front of the shirt, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. And then down below, maybe there's a picture of a couple of, of maybe, I don't know, wine glasses, you know, clinking together. Now imagine that these three people are actually one and the same person, Jesus Christ. Now for many of us, we don't have very many troubles like recognizing Jesus as a teacher, come from God to teach us God's way. Or many of us don't struggle too much with Jesus as a Savior who has come to heal and restore people's lives. But what to make of the dude with the party hat? Like for many of us, that's a version of Jesus we are unfamiliar with. So today, we're going to lean into the scriptures, and I want to introduce you to someone you might not be very familiar with. Today, we're going to talk about party Jesus. <laughs> Who is he? What's he all about? Well, uh, by show of hands, how many of you consider yourself to be a pretty good party goer? Are you a good party goer? Jesus, it turns out, was a great party goer. He wasn't just good. He was great. I'm going to show you some examples. Exhibit A, for his first miracle... Jesus turned water to wine at a wedding. That's what he did. He turned water into wine. So Jesus was invited to a wedding, which is a big miracle right there. A lot of religious people and a lot of people inviting them. They invited Jesus to a wedding. Wine ran out and he was like, oh no, not on my watch. So he turned water into wine. Not just wine, but the best wine. That's exhibit A. Jesus was a really good party goer. The second thing, not just his first miracle, but also at the Last Supper, Jesus gathered his disciples together and they shared a 15th century old meal together, a feast called the Passover. And they concluded their time together by singing a song out loud together. So I found a historically accurate depiction of the Last Supper. Here it is right here. 
Here you have Jesus. He's got his disciples together and they just finished the Last Supper and they sing a song. Obviously, I'm just playing, right? I'm just messing with you. But the reality is from his very first miracle all the way to the Last Supper and countless scenes in between, we see Jesus really is party Jesus. I'm gonna clarify what that means in just a minute. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus really was a gather people together, celebrate person. That's who he is today. And so today we're going to zoom in and look at one of those scenes in Luke chapter 5. And so here's the big idea that we're going to see unfolding in our passage in Luke 5 today. Jesus didn't just go to parties. He did. He became the life of the party. Now help me out nice and loud. I love to hear your voices. So true or false, people love to have a good time. True or false? It's true. I love a good time. You love it. I mean, consider the alternative. No, I like a bad time. I don't like a good time. Jesus loved to have a good time. He was all about it. So when we talk today about party Jesus, here's what I want you to know. When we say party, we're not talking frat boy party with solo cup and anything goes and do whatever you want and be wild. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about socializing, getting together, having a good time with other people, that it just happens to involve maybe food and tables and drinking, just getting together. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus loves to party, and that's good news. But also, God the Father loves to party. Here's a question. What does God the Father and the Beastie Boys have in common? you got to fight for your right. There you go. I knew I had some friends here. I knew it. So in in the Old Testament, there's an entire chapter, Leviticus 23. The whole chapter is outlined. God gives seven annual feasts he puts on the calendar of his people Israel. Seven times he convenes a barbecue with his people. God's a party God. Again, not in the sense of frat boy, wild, anything goes, but in the sense of getting together with people, celebrating his goodness. Truth is, God loves to party. Jesus loved to party. We love to party. We all love a good time. Why? Because he gets us. That's what we're made to do, and that's what God is about. He gets us. So he sends Jesus into the world. Listen, God sent Jesus into the world to invite us out of our fleeting forms of party. You know, the ones that can end often with regret or even a hangover, headache. And he invites us into the party where the joy knows no end and the party goes on and on. Or as they say, the road goes on forever and the party. I had some other friends here too, I knew it. So in Luke's gospel, there are two texts that that help us see uh, what's gonna be happening in, in Luke's gospel. Two different times Jesus said, the son of man came. He's talking about his own purpose for coming. Once was in, in Luke 19, 10. Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. He's talking about being sent into the world to connect with people in order to connect people back to God. So the Son of Man, Luke 19, 10, came to seek and save that which is lost. How does he go about it? Relationally speaking, Luke 7, 34. Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So much so that in that very same verse, the Pharisees turned right around and they, they called Jesus a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, so often we view God as ever solemn, only serious, all about the rules, deeply concerned that somewhere, somehow, someone is enjoying themselves. 
a bit too much. And then here comes Jesus. He's bringing people back to God. How? Through parties. All different kinds of parties, get-togethers, social times, good times with people, all different kinds. In fact, Don Everett's, I've recommended this book to you before. I'd make a note because I, I got books coming your way today, just a, just a little warning. Don Everett's wrote this incredible book you can use if you're wondering about Jesus or you're sharing with people who don't know him. Phenomenal book, Jesus with Dirty Feet. Everett said this. Most folks think of salvation as some sort of a heavenly retirement package or a comprehensive hell avoidance insurance policy. But it turns out salvation is more like an extravagant banquet that's being served now. Now, contrary to popular opinion, God is not some cosmic killjoy who can't have anyone having fun ever. In fact, he invites all to the party, the eternal party called the kingdom of God. In fact, we're going to look at how he does that in Jesus' activity in Luke chapter 5. Before we jump in, let's get a little background here. See, Luke is the only uh, writer in the New Testament who, is, who doesn't have a Jewish background. So he has no religious background, really, like, like, like me and like many of us. Luke had no religious background, and so he writes to us, and he shows us Jesus, who is the friend of sinners. How does Jesus connect sinners and bring them back to God? Obviously, through the work of the cross, but relationally, by being the friend of sinners. And he does it, in a word, through parties. So in Luke's gospel, there are 10 different table scenes, 10 different scenes where Jesus gathers around food with people. Ten. In fact, one scholar said there's so much of this that in almost any scene in Luke, Jesus is either coming from a party or going to a party or he's at a party. So much. And so Jesus connects people. Listen, he connects them back to God, not by getting them to the temple, but by getting them to the table. And so we're going to look today in Luke 5 at a scene and see what it might look like for you and maybe the people that you know to come to the table where Jesus can become the life of their party. So we're just going to begin where the story begins. We're going to begin where Jesus begins. So let's write this down right here. Here's the first thing we're going to notice is that Jesus meets us in our story. Whatever your story is, wherever you are, wherever you've ended up, that's where Jesus will meet us. He meets us in our story. Now let me see your hand if you've ever found out about a party that happened that you did not get invited to. Anyone ever had that experience? Go ahead, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Keep it up. Look around. Those of you have your hand down, what's up with that? Where was the text? Like, hey, where you at? Get here. Drop a pin. Like, throw me a bone. Like, well, the truth is, you did get invited to a party. It was a special party. It's called a pity party. <laughs> Guest list, you. I want you to consider this for just a moment. Just consider this thought. Your party becomes your story. Whatever you look to to celebrate, that's your story. Whatever you celebrate that gives you meaning, that's your story. Whatever you celebrate that helps you deal with, let's say, pain, that's your story. Whatever you celebrate that fills a void or distracts you from difficulty or affirms your worth, that becomes your story. So for many of us, that just describes your relationship to your own popularity. You're cheering on your own popularity because it gives you a sense of meaning. That's your story. Your party becomes your story. For some, maybe that describes your career. Trying to grow that career because you're cheering that on because that gives you meat. Your party 
is becoming your story. Maybe for some of us, it's our outward appearance or maybe achievement in some area of life. But listen, if your party becomes your story, here's the question. How's your party going? And what can you do when your party begins to let you down? Well, that's where Jesus begins. We're in Luke chapter 5. Look at verses 27 and 28. After this, and Jesus just worked a miracle, after that miracle, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. Now, draw your attention to the man's name. It's Levi. It occurs twice, once in verse 27, once in verse 28. Here you have a really good Jewish name. Does it get any more Jewish and awesome than Levi? This is the name by which the temple priests were named from the tribe of Levi. So Levi, the name means companion of God. Here's the problem, though. This Levi, he's not walking with God. He's not serving God. In fact, this Levi is far from God. Our text tells us that, that he's a tax collector. Uh-oh. Remember that from last week? We learned that tax collectors, they worked for the Romans. They collected tax from conquered peoples and charged higher rates, and then they skimmed off the top, and, and that's how they made their living. And so this, this guy, this particular Levi, he's making his living by exploiting his own people. That's why tax collectors in Israel were treated as traitors, thieves, social outcasts. In fact, uh, tax collectors were barred from the community of the synagogue. They were not allowed to be connected to it. They were, they were excluded from temple worship. You can't come in here. And they were treated as though they were unclean. In fact, the way you would pay a tax collector in the ancient Near East, you didn't hand them the money, you'd throw it at them. In the Jewish Mishnah, which is an oral tradition, tax collectors were classified right alongside murderers, robbers, tax collectors. And it was thought that any money in the pocket of a tax collector should automatically be treated like stolen property. So this Levi is a tax collector. And his story is a shame story. You see, Levi's not living up to his name. He's not living up to his Jewish parents' expectations for him. He's not living up to his Israelite neighbor's expectations because he's a betrayer. He's not even living up to God's expectation as a person whose name is companion of God, yet he's doing his own thing. So the bad news is that this Levi, he's not okay. But here's the good news. Verse 27 says, Jesus saw him. Forty different times in the Gospels, Jesus saw someone. He saw him. He sees you. He sees me because he gets you. He understands. Now remember, if your party becomes your story, how's Levi's party going? I mean, not too great. I mean, he's making lots of money because you know, tax collectors made a lot of money. He's making lots of money, but something is off. Something is missing. Something's empty deep inside. Sound familiar to anyone? Making lots of money, but something seems to be missing. So Jesus sees him, and he comes to him. And I love how Jesus comes to him at the workplace, on his job. And Jesus shows up, and he invites him. Two words, invitation from Jesus, follow me. What happens? Levi did exactly that. He got up. He left everything. In the grammar, it literally means a decisive break. He left it all. And then he followed Jesus. Again, the grammar was a constant, continuous, ongoing thing. 
So he got up and he walked away from his identity. He walked away from his security. Why? Here's why. Because Levi's party wasn't working anymore. Levi longed for a different party. Levi longed for a better party. And that's exactly what Jesus offers. In his amazing book, uh, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester goes through uh, uh, Luke and all the different passages where Jesus is at a table with people. And here's what Tim Chester summarized. He said, Jesus is handing out God's party invitations. They read, you're invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. That's what we see Jesus doing in this passage. So let me ask you, have you come to the place in your life where you realize that your party isn't working anymore. You did it your way. You made your own choices. You relied on your own resources, and yet something seems to be missing deep down inside. Maybe you long for a different party. Maybe you long for a better party. Well, that's where Jesus begins. All of us are seeking some kind of party, something to cheer on that gives us hope and meaning. Turns out the party, party Jesus, he's actually seeking you. So the first thing we see is that Jesus meets us in our story. But secondly, we're going to see that Jesus invites us to his party. He invites us. You're invited to his party. We're going to see that in the next couple of verses. Now, if you wouldn't mind, let's do a thought experiment together, if you don't mind. So take out your smartphone and uh, go ahead, take out your smartphone and open up a brand new note. This will just take a moment. Go ahead, everybody. Take out your smartphone. It's already there. I'm watching you. I see you. Take out your smartphone and open up a note. If you're like, oh no, I don't know how to open a note, turn to the youngest person near you and they'll get a note open for you. So just open it up, quick note. And here's what we're gonna do. I wanna say a word out loud and just very quickly jot down the first three words that come to mind. I'll do it and you do it, okay? So I'll give you a word, write down the first three that pop into your head. Here's the word, Jesus. Go ahead, write down the first three, I'll do mine. You do yours. Awesome. Okay, one more. I'm going to give you another word. And then you same thing. Write down the first three words that pop into your head. Here it is. It's the word Christians. Okay, go ahead. Got it? Okay, I got mine. Hopefully you got yours. Now, by show of hands, how many of you, your lists are identical? Go ahead and raise your hand. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, mine neither. Not, not identical at all. Now, here's the question. Why isn't there more overlap? Why isn't there more overlap between the words that we would use to describe Jesus and the words that we would use to describe Christian? Why don't, like if we did 20 words, they'd start to overlap at some point, which is awesome. But why isn't there more overlap? Here's why I think so. Because Jesus often hung out with the kind of people that we don't. He was called a friend of sinners. I don't know if anyone would accuse us of being that. I don't know. Maybe in some ways, on some days. But Jesus habitually ate and drank with people so much that he got tagged. Let's continue. We're in Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 29 here. It says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Notice those words, great banquet. There's a party going on here. 
Now, let me just say this. I, I realize Jesus didn't start the party. It's not like his party. But let's back up a minute. Levi's invitation for Jesus to come to his house to the party, that's the second invitation in this scene. It's not the first one. The first invitation was Jesus' invitation to Levi to come and follow him. Come join the eternal party called the kingdom of God. Follow me. Levi's like, gotcha. So that's the first one. Levi enters the big party, the kingdom, by following King Jesus. But then Levi turns right around and invites Jesus to his house so all of his tax collector friends can come and experience Jesus for themselves. In fact, the two words there, um, great banquet, in the Greek, it literally reads mega party. Mega party. Levi wants his friends to get around party Jesus so that they can experience what he experienced. So what happens? Well, Jesus ends up hanging out with these religious outsiders. He's eating their food. He's drinking their drinks. He's having fun. He's doing the kinds of things that friends would do with each other. Why is he doing that? Well, remember what Jesus came to do. He came to invite us out of our short-lived parties that often end in regret, hangover, maybe headache, into the eternal party, the kingdom of God where the road goes on forever and the party never ends. Turns out, Jesus really, really genuinely loves people, all kinds of people, no strings attached. Jesus loves people who are far from God and Jesus loves people who are far from godly. And he invites them to the table, why? Here's why. He's creating an environment, an environment of acceptance where they can hear him for themselves and experience his own goodness in ways that they can understand. Uh, a while ago, I ran across a network. It's called the Irresistible Church Network, and they partner with churches all around the U.S. and beyond. And the main goal of the Irresistible Church Network is helping churches figure out how they can be um, relatable to everyday regular people in their context. And one of their statements on their website reads like this. It's amazing. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them back. That's crazy. Think about it for a minute. People who were nothing like Jesus. If Jesus wanted to hang out with righteous people only, he wouldn't have left heaven, that's for sure. So people who were nothing like him liked him, and he liked them back. That's amazing. He was literally at home with these people, and they were literally at home with him. But not everybody caught the party vibe. Let's continue. Uh, Luke 5, look at verse 30. But the Pharisees, like those are three words, right? But the Pharisees, you just almost feel a cloud come over. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice that we're their Pharisees. This describes a group of religious people, Pharisees, and the name Pharisee means separated ones. And that tells you all you need to know about their approach to God and others. The way you stay right with God is to stay far away, clear from the wrong people, tax collectors and sinners. And the result was, instead of joining God's eternal party, entering into the kingdom of God by following Jesus, they stood on the outside and were bitterly opposed to all that did join in. 
Reminds me of the young boy who was going door to door to raise money. And he came to the door of the town church lady. No, I'm not bashing ladies. I'm just, that's just the story. Came to the town of the church lady. And he asked her, excuse me, ma'am, do you have any old Coke bottles? This is back in the day where you could take glass bottles in and get money returned, right? And she said, no. So he paused for a second and he said, well, then, do you have any old wine bottles? She objected. Young man, do I look like the kind of person to have old wine bottles? So the boy looked her over and he said, well, then, um, do you have any old vinegar bottles? Friends, listen, joyless Christianity misrepresents Jesus. Joyless religion misrepresents the kingdom of God as we read about it all throughout the scriptures. It's the language of feast. It's the language of celebration. It's the language of joy. You got verse 30. The Pharisees complained because both Jesus and his disciples were eating and drinking with the people that you should not eat and drink with. So here's the question. What's the beef? What's their deal here? Well, in the ancient Near East, to eat at a table with a person signaled acceptance of the person. It signaled friendship with the, it even signaled covenant relationship and a bond between the people. In fact, in one ancient story, two warriors stopped fighting when they discovered that their fathers had shared a meal in the past. That's how tight the bond is when you eat with another person. So Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. But he didn't just eat with them. He also drank with them. So wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. What are we talking about here? Like, are we talking about alcohol? Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about alcohol? So, so in, in, a, in a word, yes. So there's what we do know about Jesus from the text of Scripture, and then there's what we don't know about Jesus because the Scripture may not say. Here's what we do know about Jesus and alcohol. He drank it. He drank it. Back in the ancient times when Jesus, like, you had very few options for safe drinking. One, an option is like you could drink water, which was often contaminated, and it could easily kill you. And most of the diseases people would get would come from the water. So water, not really an option. The other option, fermented drink, like wine or early renditions of beer. These things were safe to drink, widely accessible, and widely consumed. So let me just say it this way. Jesus drank alcohol, but Jesus did not get drunk. So he becomes the standard for all who follow him. You have permission to drink alcohol, but you do not have permission to get drunk. Jesus gathered around the table with people for God's holy purpose. It wasn't anything goes, it's pleasing the Father by eating and drinking and celebrating. Wine is a symbol of joy. And he celebrated the goodness of God with people. So Jesus becomes our example. We can sit with people, we can celebrate without going to the dark side. Now let me just say this. You have permission to drink alcohol, but you do not have permission to be drunk, to get drunk. There is a dark side. And if alcohol takes you toward the dark side, do not do it. You have permission not to do it. If any engagement with alcohol would cause someone else to stumble, You don't have to do it. You shouldn't do it. But friends, Jesus sat at tables and he ate and he drank with people. And he did it for God's holy purpose. It's a party with a purpose. And the purpose was to honor God, not to go to the dark side. And we can do the same thing. In fact, Rosaria Butterfield, we've we've quoted her many times here. And uh, she hits this scene right on the money. She said, Jesus met with sinners at the table, but he did not join them in their choice sins. He sat with them 
but he did not sin with them. So party Jesus is your party example. You can sit with people, you can sip with people, but you cannot sin with people. There is a line and a dark side. Stay away from that. It's not drink and do as you please. It's drink and please God. And if it doesn't please God, do not do it. So Jesus becomes our example. He meets us in our story. He invites us to his party. And then thirdly, and this is really the big point where it's all going, Jesus takes us on a journey. That's the whole point. He takes us on a journey. We see that in the last couple verses. Now, by now, it should be really clear the contrast between the posture of the Pharisees and the posture of Jesus towards sinful people, sinners. The posture of the Pharisees, folded arms. The posture of Jesus, open arms. The question is, why so different? Why are these approaches so different? Well, these approaches are different because sociologists help us understand how communities are formed. Sociology is simply the study of how people relate with each other and interact. Sociologists describe forming communities as two major types that you can form. The first one you call a parameter community. A parameter community. You create a boundary, rules usually, and then you police the boundary to find out who you let in and who you need to keep out. And the basic posture is a posture of judgment. And it's us versus them. The Pharisees formed parameter communities. Here what the rules are. Here's who stays out. Here's who we let in. Hmm. Jesus did not form parameter communities. Jesus was forming a centered community. A centered community is very different. It's not defined by a boundary. It's defined by the center. In a centered community, anyone can come. Everyone is welcome. You can opt in anytime you want. There's no posture of judgment. It's a posture of welcome. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. How can we help everyone to the center? So in Luke 5, we see party Jesus. What's he doing? He's forming a community with himself at this center where everyone is welcome. No one's perfect except for him. And anything can happen. A journey can unfold. Now let me just say this. I have a question. If you're part of a small group, which of those two communities might best describe your small group today? Is it a parameter community? Well, we know who's in. Don't have any room for those who aren't in, so closed. Or is it an open, like a centered community where everyone's welcome, always welcome? I wonder... The whole point of parting and celebrating is celebrating the goodness of God, of course, but also to be able to go on a journey with people. Now, here's my confession. It took my whole lifetime, a whole lifetime, to develop all of my self-centered, self-destructive ways of being. It took a whole lifetime to get here. And it's going to take a journey to lead me from where I am today to where Jesus wants to take me. And the same is true for you. And what if that journey is dotted with a bunch of tables along the way where we're having conversations with people, where Jesus gets to be at the center, where we can let our guard down and relate with one another? What if? That's the point. Well, to all who'd rather judge and reject sinners, party Jesus has something to say. Look at verses 31, 32. And Jesus answered them. Who's them? It's the party poopers. 
He answered the party poopers. I love that he answers them. It's not the healthy, Jesus said, who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice that word there, sick. Sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus regards sinners not as villains that need to be banished, but as sick people who need healing that only he can provide. Now, if the world were divided into two groups, righteous and sinners, who did Jesus come for? He came to invite the sinners to the table. God uses these get-togethers, social times, good times, celebrations, parties, to get us into a position where we might let our guard down, have conversations, celebrate good things, and get into a community that might go on a journey where maybe something very special could happen. Now, uh, by show of hands, how many of you know someone who, who probably wouldn't go to church with you, but probably would come to a get-together at your house? You know anyone? Raise your hand. Right? We all have that. What if? What if God wanted to use that? Here at Hill Country Bible Church, our mission is saturating greater awesome with the love of Jesus. And to do that, we use five missional practices that spell the word bless, B-L-E-S-S. B, we begin with prayer. We pray for people in our relational network who don't know Christ. L, we listen to them and listen to God. E, we eat with them. Sounds familiar. S, we serve them. I wonder how we might do that. And then the final S would be story. We hear their story, share our story. Maybe get, get them to hear God's story. What if we could do that through something like this? What if you threw a Levi party sometime in the next 30 days? What if you did that? Just a simple get-together. Doesn't have to be crazy. Doesn't have to be a big blowout. Just a simple get-together with some people who probably wouldn't come to church, who you can gather together for some way. So what we're doing, Rose and I have been talking about this, we're going to do a little mini block party in, uh, this Friday. So what we're going to do is drag the grill out, drag it in front of the house on the driveway. We're going to just make some food and then just feed our neighbors. Just to get together. No praying over them. No prophesying over them. No proselytizing. We just, just want to get to know our neighbors. We just want to see what God would do if we just, because our neighbors, quite honestly, we don't really know each other. Everybody comes and goes. So we want to create space where maybe we can have some overlap. I'm wondering if, if you would take up that challenge. We're going to do it. And I challenge you. Tag. You're it. Could be a pool party. Could be a birthday party. Could be any kind of party you want to do. But why not? Why not do that? Hugh Halter wrote a really incredible book, and I am recommending this one to you. This is the one, if, you, if this whole topic gets you thinking, okay, this is the book, the tiny little book called Happy Hour. And in his little book, he gives some very special ways that you could do a party that people would want to come to, people who don't really go to church. And here's what Halter said. He said, I now believe the one skill every believer must develop is the discipleship skill of throwing a great party. It really is about our discipleship after Jesus. If, we, if he did it and we claim to follow him, then we must stretch past church attendance and Bible studies and learn how to be great human beings like he was. How might God use a series of tables or get-togethers that you initiate in the lives of other people? I wonder how he might use it. Now, before we wrap up, 
Let's take a moment and look at the last word. Luke 5.32. Look at the very last word. It's the word repentance. Party Jesus is not soft on sin. He's high on relationship. He understands getting people together in an environment that's, that's, that we can engage relationally would help people journey so spiritually. Repentance is simply turning from your way and going God's way. What if the turning points that God wants to bring into people's lives look like relationships that we have built around a table over time? What if that's how it worked? Let me ask you, when are you most motivated to change? When somebody criticizes or condemns you for being wrong? Or when somebody relates with you and chats with you and opens their life and has conversation with you? That's what Party Jesus is all about. And I wonder what our world would look like if we just threw more get-togethers, more celebrations, where strangers can become friends and friends might be turned into family members with Jesus in the center of their life because we share time and space together. A couple quick examples. Uh, after the last service, a guy came up to me. He's like, dude, I've been doing this. I do cigar parties. So I have guys that come to my cigar parties that would never go to a church, but we keep doing them. And now they're opening their lives to me. We're having conversations about their relationships, about their jobs, about their problems around cigars. Cheers to that. Another guy came up and he said, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I didn't really think that people are letting their guard down. The more I do this with the same people, the more they're letting their guard down. What if the no agenda agenda allows people to put their guard down and just get to know you and then open their life to you. Maybe the thing that's, maybe the missing piece in you trying to reach your neighbors is you're trying to reach your neighbors. Why not love them? Why not feed them and laugh with them? Why not do that with no strings? One time I saw a t-shirt. It said, oh look, some unconditional love. And it had a picture of a church propped up with a stick and a string and a person going after it. Right? You understand. What if the desire to reach clouds the whole thing? What if we just love people, get to know them, and then we can watch them open their lives a little, and then we can reach them? Turns out the kindness of God does lead to repentance. Tony Campolo summarized it beautifully in his wonderful book, uh, The Kingdom of God is a Party. And he said, the kingdom of God is a glorious and gigantic party. This is a great summary of what we see all throughout the scriptures. From Old Testament Israel's feast with God, all the way through the language of the Psalms and celebration into Jesus and the Gospels, and Paul with the love feast and Revelation with the, with the bride and the wedding that's to come. All throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God is a party. So let's get the party going. In the same book, Tony Campolo told about a night in a greasy spoon at 3.30 a.m. in Hawaii. He sat at a counter in a gnarly diner eating a stale donut and drinking horrible coffee. When the diner door swung open and in walked eight or nine loud prostitutes. And they began to sit all around him making a bunch of noise. And he overheard the woman sitting right next to him say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 39 years old. And the lady on the other side of him, she said, so what do you want from me? You want a birthday party? You want a birthday cake or something? To which the lady answered back. She was like, I've never had a birthday party my whole life. Why would I have one now? And after they left, Tony leaned over to the guy behind the counter, the cook, and he said, 
do they come here every night? And the cook's like, yes, they do. And Tony asked, the girl who sat next to me, does she come here every night? And the cook said, yes, she does. Her name is Agnes. And Tony said, what do you think about us throwing her a birthday party right here tomorrow night? And the cook thought about it and said, great idea. I like it. So the next night, 2.30 a.m., Tony shows up. He decorates that diner from end to end. The cook hand makes a birthday cake for her. And right at 3.30 a.m. on the dot, Tony had everybody hiding when the door swung open and she came in. Everybody jumped up. Happy birthday. Agnes was stunned. Her mouth dropped open. And when the song ended, happy birthday to you, out came the cake glowing with candles. And Agnes broke down, weeping. Everybody starts to say, blow out the cake, blow out the candle, we want some cake, cut the cake. And Agnes said, if it's all right, if it's okay, can I keep the cake just for a little while? And the cook said, keep the cake, you can take it home if you want. She said, well, can I? Is that okay? I live just around the corner. I'll be right back, I promise you. She went right out the door with the cake, carrying it like it was the holy grail. The whole diner was stunned and silent. Tony didn't know what to do, so he, he just shouted out, what do you say we pray? So he led a whole diner praying for Agnes. And when he finished, the cook leaned over and said, you never told me you were a preacher. He said, what kind of church do you belong to? Tony said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. The cook said, no, you don't. There is no church like that. If there was, I would join it. Friends, that's the heart of God. That's the example of Jesus. He really gets us. The only question is, do we really get him? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are so grateful that you are not some killjoy who can't stand to see others celebrate, but you are a God of joy and celebration. And we're thankful that in your kingdom, even our suffering, even our pain, finds meaning in the party that never ends, your kingdom. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us life to the full, to pay for all of our shame and sins at the cross and then to send his spirit to come and, and to bring life to all who call upon you. Thank you for the risen Christ. And right now, Father, we admit our party, it ain't working. And Jesus, we turn to you. Be our turning point right here, right now. Would you forgive us? Would you fill us? Would you enable us from this moment to begin to follow you? And also, would you enable us to invite some others to the party? Somewhere in the next month, would you creatively give us a fun idea to get some people together just to love them and to honor you and that you would allow that to be part of a bigger journey where you are at work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.